You are listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams, and in this episode, we have the first of two discussions about the Marvel Cinematic Universe at Fox. In this episode, we are discussing 2015's Fantastic Four and Deadpool. Here to discuss the films with me is returning guest, Mr. Alan White. Woo! (laughs) I like that. Just peeking, just peeking that meter real quick. Is it nice and red for you? (laughs) Absolutely. Before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that this podcast is still brought to you by the Deliberate Noise Network. Head over to DeliberateNoise.com and check out some of the other shows that are over there. And for you, the listeners of Plain Label Podcast, we are also still sponsored by Audible. And Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check them out. For this episode, our Audible recommendation is Artemis by Andy Weir, the author of The Martian. The audiobook is nine hours long, and it is narrated by the night nurse herself, Miss Rosario Dawson, and would typically sell for $30, but it could be yours today for free. To download your free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash plain label. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash plain label for your free audiobook. I figured I put that in there just for you for the Rosario Dawson. You know. As a matter as a matter of fact, um Daryl Taylor, mm-hmm. I think you know of him. Uh-huh. Have you heard of Daryl Taylor? Yes. He wants to um have Rosario Dawson come on to his one of his shows. So, Rosario, call us. We got to make call, it happen. <laughs> call Eric or call Derek Coward of the Deliberate Noise Network. Call one of those guys, and they will get in touch with me, and I will get in touch with Daryl, and we'll make it happen. Well, there you go. Or I, I could just get a. I could probably talk to Rachel. She's, you know, she's in tight with Christopher Nolan in her mind, and so she could probably, <laughs> she could probably get that uh, connection and make that happen. This is this is where we all dwell, isn't it? We're so connected to these people. <laughs> That's right. Okay. In our minds. So let's. Uh, this is uh, a little earlier than we're usually recording. So what uh, what beverage are you making up that you're having for me? Because I'm guessing you're not having your amaretto yet. Well, no, you you would be incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> I made it. I made it for myself anyway. Nice. nice. It is because it's winter time and the light fades very early in the in the evening. Mm-hmm. So it feels like nighttime. So I'm drinking. <laughs> Smart. So there, and but it's not the same drink though. So oh, okay. I'm, I'm I'm excited to tell you what I actually have put together for myself. Okay, lay it on me. What do you got? All right, so you get you get a, a nice cup full of ice. You pour on that ice. Well, your amaretto naturally, your mm-hmm. di serrano, and then you get yourself some mango flavored vodka. Oh, okay, now we're talking. You hear me what I say? A mango-flavored vodka. And you splash it. You splash both of them on that ice, and then you fill it up the rest of the way with your Diet 7-Up. <laughs> I like that. I'll have to give that a shot. I've got it. I've called it a, I've called it something. Oh, and what are, what are you calling it? 
Well, let me give you the origin of why I called it what I'm about to, what I'm about to call it. Okay. So I I tweeted that out just because it was feeling good to me. I had like I was halfway into the cup and it was real tasty. <laughs> it's so sweet. It's delicious. So I tweeted it out and Eric, um, another Eric whose last name I have forgotten because he has been using another last name for the longest time now. Uh, he uses Stormageddon now as his last name. Shout out to Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. He said, it sounds like you're inventing new ways to throw up. <laughs> so I was offended. <laughs> and I told him, I said, I guarantee you this is sweeter than your husband's kiss. Ooh. Because go. he has... He has a husband. Mm-hmm. So I decided to call this drink the husband's kiss. <laughs> I like that. And I, I, like challenge, that. I challenge you, Eric, mm-hmm. put this drink together, give it to your wife, have her taste it, and then try to match how sweet this is with your kiss. Okay, I'm writing it down. So Di Serrano, yes. ma- mango vodka, and diet 7-Up. Yes. Okay. Yes. I got it. I got it written down. I am having something that is much uh, not is definitely not as sweet as that. Uh, it is a beer, and <laughs> it is from the Tall Grass Brewing Company, which is in Manhattan, Kansas. So it's in oh. my my neck of the woods. Um, it is called the Eight Bit Pale Ale, and it has a little picture of a eight bit Pac Man. With his tongue, with his tongue sticking out, he's drunk. And yes, he is. And it says, bursting with complex flavors, eight bit is channeled through the hop rocket, which is a stainless steel vessel packed full of hops, which infuses the beer with an extra burst of tasty hop flavors and aromas right before it's put into cans. Wow. Yeah. So that's what I'm having. I also had this. Uh, in my last recording, which I'm not exactly sure when that'll be released, but it was when a fellow podcaster of ours, Mr. Sean Pryor, and right I, on. we talked about uh, video games in movies. And so I had that 8-bit little Pac-Man looking guy because we were talking about uh, a documentary about Atari. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. A little theme action. That's right. And I didn't have anything uh, that I thought would sound good that would go with Deadpool. And I didn't have anything to go along with uh, our first film, which I can't wait to discuss. <laughs> you need something that tastes horrible to go <laughs> with the right. first film. <laughs> something with a lot of like <laughs> a lot of sand in it or something, like a, some rocks, some actual rocks. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, so that's what we're drinking. Uh, let's go ahead and kick off our discussion with our first film. It is from 2015, and it is Josh Trank's Fantastic Four. Dr. Storm, we gave you six years and millions of dollars, and you gave us nothing. What's different now? Reed Richards. He knows answers to questions we don't even know to ask yet. This is our chance to learn more about our planet and maybe even save it. I want you to meet my daughter, Sue. You want to be famous? I just want my work to make a difference. John, read. This guy doesn't take orders well. Yeah, especially from people who say, I don't take orders well. Don't let any of these lab coats give you any crap, all right? Well, if I do, I know who to call. 
the muscle. I gotta say, it's fun having you here. Really? No. <laughs> what you've created here is incredible. You guys sure you're in the best shape to be doing this? Yeah. yeah. We're good. They just cracked interdimensional travel. Where are my children? Four have survived. All exhibit unique physical conditions. I just want to fix my friends. You can't fix this. You should use these powers to help people. You opened a door. You don't know how to close. You don't know anything about what's coming. What is coming? Doom. If you want to stop him, it's going to take everything you have. Until he's in. Two minutes. Might be a little less. <laughs> and the IMDb plot synopsis goes like this. This is written by 20th Century Fox. Fantastic Four, a contemporary reimagining of Marvel's original and longest-running superhero team, centers on four young outsiders... Mm-hmm. who teleport to an alternative, mm, that should be alternate, alternative and dangerous universe, which alters their physical form in shocking ways. Their lives irrevocably upended. The team must learn to harness their daunting new abilities and work together to save Earth from a former friend turned enemy. <sighs> <laughs> so that is copy written by 20th Century Fox to support the much maligned Fantastic Four from 2015, directed and written by Josh Trank, and he did not have himself very much fun making this film. Uh, no. A lot of behind-the-scenes drama, a lot Watch. of uh, a lot of uh, editing. <laughs> In the script stage and in the uh, final cut stage with reshoots and all of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, Alan, tell me. Yes. Did you go see this in the movie theater? You know I did. <laughs> and tell me you what you I... thought about Fantastic Four. I ran my happy ass down to the matinee, so thrilled. To get the Fantastic Four back on the screens again, I want to tell you, I wish that that summary by 20th Century Fox was true. Mm. The lies they tell. <laughs> Let me tell you, because oh, I was so disappointed. I tried. I tried to wring every drop of goodness out of that movie for myself because mm-hmm. I don't go to the movies to be disappointed. I go to the movies to have a good time. As I think I explained. Mm-hmm. And 
I have, so I'm looking for the good stuff. Dismal. When mm-hmm. I tell you, depressive. I mean, just <laughs> dull and lifeless. And <sighs> so I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, I didn't, Spoiler. Yeah, I didn't like. I it. didn't much care for it either. Um, let's talk a little bit about about Fantastic Four, the positive, the the comic books and our history and and Please. our sort of relationship with the characters. And I'll go first. My history is uh, when I started reading comics in the mid eighty, early to mid eighties. Um, I I was sort of later to the game. On Fantastic Four, I was more in the um, the t- I wasn't even in the Burn Run. I guess when I first started reading it, I was in like the the Paul Ryan, Tom DeFalco kind of era, and and I dug it and I liked. Um, I think it was yeah, it was Paul Ryan. I, yes, and uh, I kept getting. Um, I would kind of kept going back and farther and farther and farther back and was enjoying the stories more and more when we had, you know, we had some Arthur Adams in there and we had some Walt Simonson in there. And of course the John Byrne run. And I was, I was digging it. And I liked the fact that it wasn't the X-Men. It wasn't the Avengers. It was this group that had this accident that happened to them. And they had their separate personality traits and they were individuals, but yet they were, they were family. And they were together, right? Yes. And I yes. loved that. I loved that idea. And I liked that they could not get along for a while, but you're like, oh, that's fine. He'll eventually come back because we're family. It's not like they're just going to run off and I don't really know anything about them or something. Right. And so I really enjoyed the books. Um, I kind of lost my way with it as uh, the more modern incarnations but i like sort of uh i like the group it it does make me disappointed that the book kind of went away for a while and and all that um because it was you know it was fantastic four the first marvel uh modern marvel book and all that kind of thing and i was all i was all uh in it through hickman's run and and uh after that i kind of I don't know. Once they once they started doing all the the future foundation and stuff, I sort of lost a little bit of interest, but I was still picking the book up. Mm-hmm. And I think I still have stuff that's unread that I just haven't got around to. Uh, but uh, regardless, I I do I do enjoy the property. I wish that they would make a movie that was worth a damn. Right. <laughs> and I, I suppose that, um, well, I mean, as of this recording, there's been news from the media. Are you thrilled about it? Have you heard about it? Oh, I guess I have not heard about it. Brother man. Disney and Fox made a deal. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. I, I know what you're talking about. about... Yes. You got to know this. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So... That means that Disney now has acquired the um, licensing of the Fantastic Four and of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. So they can make Marvel Studios movies with those properties now if they so choose. Which, yes, please. Like, I mean, I get, I get why they would probably want to wait a few years because this is, you know, two years ago or three years ago, I guess. But, you know... Um, they need to make a, a good movie 
<laughs> they need to make a good movie out of this property. Yes, they do. And so I have to restrain myself because me and uh and um Keith Cunningham, I want to shout him out because he's a buddy and he's a creative little genius and he has done some shows on the Deliberate Noise Network at times. Um him and Luke Foster have done stuff together. So if those names are familiar to you, to frequent listeners of the Deliberate Noise Network, then give him a shout out if you guys know his contact stuff. But him and I like to go back and forth about how we can introduce different properties into the Marvel Universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the Fantastic Four is one of them. And um, I think our ideas are solid and amazing. So they could do it, and they could do it right. And they need to. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem overly difficult with all of the, with like the, if they want to bring it in just because of the Guardians of the Galaxy, like if they want to bring it in through that uh, property, how how easy would that be? Like if there's, you know, once the Guardians end up coming back to Earth, which I'm assuming they're going to with this whole uh, Thanos stuff, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem that difficult for the government or NASA or whatever to try to do something in space and have these four people uh, be the ones that do some experimental blah, 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 and they're in the blah, universe. So I hear you, mm-hmm. and I respect your your opinion highly. <laughs> mm-hmm. However, <laughs> there's, a, there's one... Oh, I'm going to go ahead and get into it. Okay, they're sure. Gonna, yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to give me any money, and <laughs> and I'm not the only one that's thought of this. But what you and I, what you've already acknowledged as what is special about the Fantastic Four is that they're a family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I need that to be seen in the movies. And now, Josh Rank's little film that he made he did one did a couple of things wrong when it comes to the Fantastic Four. Um, one of the things is that it, it went against that core value of family. Mm-hmm. Now, they tried. They tried by having the Storms be the Storms, Sue and Johnny be brother and sister. But they really kind of tweaked that aesthetic by casting Michael B. Jordan. And look, y'all, I'm sitting up in here just as black as I can be. <laughs> Right, black from the top to the bottom. I'm a, I am black. You will not mistake me for a black man. You see me, and so I rep for Michael B. Jordan. Get your cash, bruh. Make that money. I ain't mad. I am not mad. But you throw a white girl in with a black guy, say they're brother and sister. Everybody's looking at you side eyed. Mm-hmm. Everybody's looking at you like what? Like what? How? And so, of course, they threw in there that she's the one that is adopted because Professor Storm, Johnny's father, is a black man as well. And so they got this little white girl from Kosovo, and now she's a sister. And it's like, that's cute. That's nice. And family is family, baby. It's real. But you don't get it viscerally. You oh, no. See, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relationship that you, you have to learn about and then accept in your mind on a cognitive basis and you just hope for some kind of real good feeling but then the but then the script and the maybe the performances mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. fell short of selling that relationship 
Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I'm like trying not to burst uh from all of the all of the words I have to say. So before before I get into it, stuff, why don't you tell me like tell me about you and the Fantastic Four? Like is this a property that you have enjoyed through the comic book series or are you just kind of like, oh yeah, they're fine or whatever or what what's your history with the with the actual source material? Boy, don't play with me. <laughs> You don't know. I ain't, I ain't never told you. No, tell me about it. Let me tell you something here. You talk, you talking about Paul Ryan. You talking about going back and you looking at Walt Simonson. Brother, mm-hmm. listen, Alan White was, let's, I think I placed it about 13 years old in my life mm-hmm. when I bought my first comic book off the spinner rack. That first comic book off the spinner rack was Fantastic Four. 175. Okay. It was inked by, it was inked by, I want to say Joe Sinnott. Uh, and it was written by Marv Wolfman, I want to say Marv Wolfman. Why did I not do my research? <laughs> it's, because, always, it's because the movie's so bad. <laughs> yeah, the movie, the movie knocked me, knocked me out. But it was sitting there in a spinner rack. This was before, this was during, in other words, yes, I have a long history with the Fantastic Four. It's my first comic book that I ever bought. And the storyline picked up when Reed and Sue were kind of having a couple of problems because Reed was actually, spoiler, replaced by somebody from Counter-Earth. Mm. And he was stuck in the negative zone, and Sue was kind of holding the fort down, figuring out that her husband wasn't really her husband, and she had to find some way to expose him and protect herself, while Johnny and Ben were X, Y, and Z, and and, um, the High Evolutionary and Galactus was fighting on the cover, and then the Fantastic Four, you see them in the middle in a bubble, and it was just so fascinating to me to see these, to see these, I guess the limited palette in color, was the cyan blue, the mm-hmm. orange of the thing, and the red and the yellow of the of the Human Torch mm-hmm. as the core people. And as I'm reading more and more, I'm finding out these two are married, are supposed to be married. She's the kind of uh, a woman that is dedicated to her family. She's not a scientist. She's not an. She's not so much of an adventurer where she entered into this thing because of that. She entered in this, into this thing because she's in love with Reed and she wanted to support him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I accepted that character. And that's, that's where I'm saying this movie fell short for me, not because I don't want women to have brains and be, um, and be capable and to be equal, equal ground and footing with, the men in the movie, I'm saying Susan Storm Richards' character is unique in comics in that she is a woman who whose approach to life is through love and relationship. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And so I that's who I'm wanting to see on the screen with all my heart. I want to see this unique entrance into superhero superheroism where – it's not it's not Hope Van Dyne who can kick your ass 15 ways till Sunday and has been striving to get into the wasp suit be a superhero no i want to see i want to see someone who trips into this whole thing and is now wide-eyed and like what am i supposed to do here what mm-hmm. what, what how am i supposed to put how am i supposed to enter into this life when all i want is to is to raise a family, uh, take care of my brother, love this man, 
be a responsible adult, take care of my responsibilities in this house, keep this thing together. That's the woman I want to see on the screen. And then when she's in the middle of this stuff, develop, mm. grow, get, get her feet under her, learn the ropes, become competent, become powerful, become the most powerful character in all of the all the MCU because of the things that she'll be able to do. But let that development happen before our eyes and it can happen in one movie and no one yet has shown me that in any of these movies and that's why i got disappointed by this thing i think part of the thing that's frustrating is if it seems like in hollywood if a woman is smart that means they have to be a scientist in some way and that's not necessarily so yeah like she she can't just be smart she has to be like oh she's smart she's a scientist Hell, we're smart and we're not scientists. You know, but that's like the limited, like, you know, uh, Gwen Stacy in the last uh, Amazing Spider-Man where she passed away. Spoilers. It's She's smart, scientist. You know, yeah. Sue Storm, <laughs> she's supposed to be smart. Okay, she's a scientist. And so <laughs> it's like, why can't she just not be a strong, intelligent woman that doesn't have to be, you know playing around with uh, fake mumbo-jumbo words. Like, I, yeah. I just don't understand. And that goes for Johnny Storm as well. Exactly. Because he, he was smart, but all of a sudden he's this, what is like a like a nuclear technician or something. Like, he knows how to put together this machine that can take you to another universe. Like, what? I thought he was just a kid mm-hmm. that, that that likes to race cars. All yeah. Of a, well, <laughs> yeah. It's. I mean, of all of the people, along with Spider-Man, he's supposed to like the fact that he's got these powers, right? Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be having fun the whole time. Not, oh yeah, he likes to race cars, and he's got a shitty relationship with his dad, and now he sort of likes what he's doing, but then he's also another scientist that was just racing cars, or he built his car from scratch, I guess they said, and... I was like, I, I just don't, I just don't care at all. I just don't care at all, at all. And then he becomes a front runner for the U.S. military to go on yeah. these missions and murder people. Yeah, he's real, he's real fun and wanting to go and do that. It's like, who is this person? Oh my god. Okay, let me get, let me get to some notes here. Get uh, in it. So the first thing I don't understand, you know, because I didn't know anything about this movie. I knew that it bombed, and I knew that the previews looked awful, but that's kind of it. Um, I didn't... This is not a period film, question mark, was my first... <laughs> like, wait a minute, this is this is current? Okay. See? And then there I was like, go. wait a minute, why is intelligence so not valued in this school? Because the kid's trying to... You know, the kid's uh, obviously advanced and is bored by this teacher, but they're, like, mocking that that intelligence isn't a thing that it's it's like they don't realize that nerd culture has taken over now or something. And it's supposed to to be current. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's like a sixties kind of a thing. Like, Oh, you're a nerd. Why don't you play some sports? But it's set in 2015 or Mm -hmm. 20, uh, 2007, I think when the the movie opens. Yeah. Because Reed is supposed to, Oh my God, don't get me. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, And so, okay. So then we have, uh, we have the, and and I think the person that I feel the worst for in this in this film is Jamie Bell that plays Ben Grimm mm-hmm. because he has absolutely nothing to do. And he is he's in this awful scene with this bully big brother and 
it's like the most forced thing I've ever seen in my life to where oh. they're like feuding and then they kind of have these little like play slap fight thing with the mom. The mom like barely grazes his face and I'm like, this is like a rough neighborhood. Like this is a tough childhood that he has to where he's going to be this kind of like uh big massive like you know the strong guy of the group like what are you talking about that's terrible um so you're figuring that's bad for the character development that he comes from a bullied background and he becomes well, a big bruiser i think it was poorly executed i don't mind that background so much if that's what they're going to do fine like if that's that's the way that he manifests his powers is because he's been abused and he wants to be strong or something like that. I can get along with that, okay? I think okay. the actual execution of it was pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it fell short in so many ways mm -hmm. to highlight those things. Yeah, and so, okay, so we have... Uh, so some of the things that just made absolutely no sense. So he gets Ben to come over and help him with his little device, his little transporter thing. And right away, Ben pulls out the Swiss Army knife because Reed doesn't understand the difference between a Phillips and a flathead screwdriver. And he doesn't understand that he's like <laughs> stripping out the screw. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, this is, that doesn't make any sense. Like, wait a minute. He doesn't know what tool he's supposed to use. And I was like, I understood why they put that in there because they're trying to harken back to it later when they're grown up but i'm like that is ter that is also terrible uh we have even though it's 2007 he blacks out part of um the town and apparently the richards family lives in 1980 because they all have like tube tvs and they've got like uh paneling <laughs> on the wall and i'm like wait a minute this is this is 10 years ago <laughs> why does he have this tv why does he have like basically antenna like over the air tv this doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, okay, yeah, so it's not like it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be Stranger Things. Yeah, really. It's it's like not, they don't live there. I don't know. It's like they. <laughs> it seemed like some of it was set in the '60s, some was set in the '80s, some of it was supposed to be current. It like had no uh, cohesive like tone about what they were trying to do. Um, oh my god. Okay, so we have this humongous. Then we have. Reed is super smart, which I don't understand why they can't get this right either. So Reed's super smart, and he has the storms come up to him, and they're like, hey, have you ever thought about uh, joining blah, blah, blah? And he has no idea what it is. Who who the um the Baxter, found, uh, the yeah. Baxter Foundation is supposed to be? Yeah, the Baxter Foundation. Yeah, he has no idea about the, the whole, the the basically substitute for the Baxter building. He has no idea about any of that or who they are or any of that sort of thing. And it's like, wait a minute. Like, how could you be so smart, but you are so oblivious? And if that's the case, how are you not able to do this one thing better if you're so obsessive about just the one thing? And I don't know. I just... But let me get let me let me let me interject something here. You you were just what you just did was you you were talking about two scenes. Well, two a, a transition from early in the movie to the time when Reed and Ben meets the mm -hmm. um the storms. Right. Or at least Susan Storm and her father. They come to the this thing. But there were there's a shift in actors, right? The little boy, there's little the boy bullied Ben young Ben lives in a junkyard 
with his family. It's it's a family junkyard. Right. And that's how Reed and Ben supposedly meet because Reed the thing that Reed needs to power his his home device is in this junkyard that he goes to get and Ben finds him and Reed's like don't kill me and then <laughs> he takes Ben back to show why he needed this little tube that you were mentioning and blows out the neighborhood and Ben thinks well okay you're cool now it fades out. Now it fades into seven years later, and Reed is still working on the same machine, and he is now 29 years old. <laughs> yes. I don't understand that part. <laughs> Miles Teller does not look like he was seven years after this little boy. <laughs> that is very much true, yeah. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie Bell has a baby face, so he could get away with being maybe 19. But this big lumbering... Miles Teller does not look to me to be in, in his teenage years. Then, yes, then here comes Professor Storm and Sue coming along the side. And now Sue, oh, she's such a miserable little wreck of a human being. Mm-hmm. She's skulking in the background, and she's she's got this surly expression on her face. I don't know if it's because of the way just the actress looks, which, you know, girl, Go ahead, do you. I'm not mad. I'm, I, I, I'm not trying to criticize your actual physical appearance, but I just don't think that you was right for this part, my girl. Mm-hmm. You looked so uh, so not Susan Storm to me. Well, it's funny because that they're, for me, they are Ofer on the Susan Storm stuff, too. Because in the other films, it was Jessica Alba. Yeah. And... I don't know. With it, they, they get Jessica Alba, and then they're trying to. Uh, then they put the the blue contacts in her face and make her not look <laughs> yeah. like Jessica Alba. <laughs> yeah, and that's in that second movie. They gave her this just straw like wig that they splatted on her head. It was maddening. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they they really tried to white her up. Really tried to Aryan. Try to get her to be the Aryan nation queen. Right. And it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. But the thing I liked about Jessica Alba only is that she did have presence. You know, that she did weigh in as a person, even if she was inflated to be a scientist. At least she, you know, she got in Johnny's face. She flirted with or she flirted with her romantic rivals. She um, she was personable when it came to talking Reed down or talking him up or at least defending him in certain spots. I mean, she had more of a a physical presence than I can't even remember the little child's name. What's her name? Uh, Kate, down, Kate Mara. Mara, right. She's mm-hmm. somebody's sister in Hollywood. Yeah, Who's it's Kate Mara and Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Rooney, that's where that word was coming in my head. So their sisters, bless their hearts, do your thing, get your paper, get good parts, take Hollywood by storm. Please don't ever touch this role again. <laughs> Please never, ever do this one role again in your career. Thank you very much. Because she was just this little – just this – now – that would be a good reason why she turns invisible 
mm-hmm. is because maybe her personality is that shrinking kind of thing. But still, that's not Susan Storm that I'm looking for. That's not the Susan Storm I'm looking for. Yeah, it would make sense if that's what they're going for. But I don't get any. I don't get any sense in that that's what they're going for with the whole shrinking Violet and the whole like. Uh, you know, unsure of herself and self-confident. And if that's the case, then why are Reed and uh, Victor after her? If she's this like nobody behind the scenes kind of a person, because she's the only girl that's there, you know, that, that's, that's it. That, I mean, she's like what basically the only female in the movie. That's not, uh, yeah, she's basically the only girl in the movie, right? Yep. You can't think of another one. Can you? <laughs> no, no. Cause there is not another female oh, character okay. in this movie. If there if there's if there are females cast in this movie, they are background. Mm-hmm. I can't think of one other female that had a speaking part. Oh, Ben's mother. Mm. Oh yeah, when she's uh play slapping the older brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's it. So maybe that's the only reason why they went after her. But if 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 her personality is supposed to lend to to her powers, then isn't it much more conducive that it's Susan Storm, the homemaker, Susan Storm, the big sister, trying to carry the load of responsibility of taking care of this little this little brother of hers who is uncontrollable and mm-hmm. loud, and she might feel like she's failing her responsibilities as a as a big sister, failing her parents trying to raise this boy um now her now this guy that she loves is this mega brilliant genius scientist on the spectrum who doesn't doesn't know how to talk um in social settings and doesn't know how to handle things but she loves him that's mm-hmm. her heart she can't help that how does she weigh in in this world she can't she doesn't feel like she belongs in this world but she damn it she's going to do her best so i can see why she might just turn invisible like in the background like i'm not i'm not anything i'm nothing here mm-hmm. but i'm gonna try that makes much more sense to me than just this sullen little uh, if she just the only thing that kept her from being goth is that she had blonde blonde <laughs> blondish hair yep <laughs> that's the only thing yeah with and we i don't think we need to mention but if people have seen this movie they they uh know that she has two different kinds of hair because they she has a really obvious wig during some of it and she has her normal hair during parts of it um so here's what i want to do i want to i want to make a sequel i'm going to have uh fantastic four it's going to be called fantastic four colon confidence because (laughs) that is what this entire cast and this entire screenplay is missing because isn't the whole point about Reed Richards is he's smart. He knows he's smart. He gets locked in and he can be overconfident. Yep. And so why don't you have the movie where he is the golden child, the golden boy that he can't do anything wrong. He gets everything right all the time. And then he makes one mistake and his life is ruined and he has to sort of pick up the pieces, right? And then you have Doom, who is a little riskier, makes more mistakes, but still believes he's smarter than Reed when he's challenged, you know, and, and they're doing the whole high school uh, slash college, um, you know, mano a mano, who's smarter sort of thing. And mm-hmm. and so that's, you know, and then you add in the whole Sue admires Reed for his intelligence and his good heart because Victor doesn't have that same sort of thing. And then you have Johnny Storm. He's overconfident in his abilities, which makes, you know, because of his mentality, he's a hothead and blah, blah, blah. And Sue's 
not as confident, which is why she goes invisible. And it, I mean, it's just like all of the things that they did not hit about these characters could be fixed so quick and easily. It just makes no sense to me. Marvel, are y'all listening? <laughs> and then, so here's some of the other shit that I thought was just ridiculous. So we have, get in it, get we in have it. The, well, we had the meet cute between Reed and Sue, which was terrible. And yeah. we have, uh, so Professor Storm is talking about this alternate dimension and he's like, well, that's a perfect power source for this earth. How the fuck does he know that? How does he know <laughs> that that's a power source that they can use? I mean, that is the most like sci-fi movie cliche, like nonsense that I've heard. And then we're at a, this big meeting. And this guy turns the page and he goes, oh, Von Doom, what is he doing here? He's like, he's surprised. Like, he didn't read his notes at a meeting before this. Like, he didn't <laughs> see this before going, okay, here's the agenda. Here's what we're going to talk about. And he's all uh, he's all surprised about that. And that poor guy just, Tim Blake Nelson has the perfect, like, smarmy little businessman look uh, about him. Just this sort of slimy little guy uh, that nobody <laughs> likes. Uh, and then with the confidence thing, that's Doom's like greatest trait is that he can never be stopped. He can never be sort of defeated mentally, right? In mm-hmm. this, he's just like a little crybaby because his feelings were hurt. And so he's all shaggy. He's like in the middle of, uh, he's in the middle of act two in most movies where something's gone wrong and his hair is long and he's got the, he just has given up on life. And, we don't know why really because he did something and Sue, we kind of expect for them to have a falling out and he kind of looks at her a little bit, but we don't really get a sense that she sort of shunned him that much. And I just didn't, I just didn't think that that was done well at all. And then they're finally together. And some of the lines in here are just, I mean, just ridiculous. And some of the things that they say is, so he's all, uh, negative about whatever the plan is and sue they wrote for her to say and she delivered and they the editor said yeah oh yeah this is the good take this is good good." (laughs) they said well listen to dr doom over here (laughs) and i put oh hell no (laughs) (laughs) don't forget about this part reed so reed looks at at him he's close to sue and he says is he a student here and and what do you think she says ladies and gentlemen who may not have seen this movie it's complicated (laughs) her answer is a facebook status oh my god and then thank you from this point on i just started uh noting scenes and then just putting swear words by them basically (laughs) because it was like johnny and his dad oh fuck i wrote johnny and sue no bullshit mon- montage kosovo what the fuck yeah uh this is also goddamn wrong no one gave a shit about making this movie uh let's see never once does this show what these characters are about or right. why any of them give a shit about each other now the thing about kosovo i was hoping that would turn to something like for instance victor von doom might have some kind of reason to be pursuing sue because maybe they're from the same part of the world mm-hmm. and maybe he wanted to get her to identify with that part of her heritage or something and maybe draw him away draw her away from the storms and set up some kind of rivalry and that w- nope hmm. none of that none of that happened 
Do you think that it's because there are four of them that they don't know how to manage the screen time properly? You how think that that's part of the not? problem? How could they Look, we're sitting here in our prospective homes, not in Hollywood, not writing these things. Why do we know better? How come they not do? How come they're not doing these things? I just think now. Okay, let's just tap into a little bit about Josh Trank's drama behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. Like before the movie came out, he did a Twitter blast, um, whining about the studio got too involved in his movie and they rewrote a bunch of stuff that he didn't really want to see. So it's possible that Josh Trank could have been. could have, if he would have been given enough time or enough resources or enough control, maybe he would have paid out some of this stuff that we're complaining about right now. And the questions that we're asking right now is why they didn't, how come they couldn't have. Maybe Josh Trank would have done that. Maybe he had that. And the studios and people who aren't writers got in, got involved and said, but we need some superhero action, but we need some powers, but we need some special effects, but we need this, but we need that, and just totally diluted what we're all asking for, or what you and I, at least, are asking for them to do. Maybe Josh Trank was trying to do that, but we'll never know, because that's not the movie we got, and it's a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like, it's a who knows, and some of the things that's strange is it's, I mean, the the way that the, the structure of the film is, is it would work a lot better the way that they structure this if it was a Netflix Marvel sort of situation. Right. Because the movie is an hour and a half, Ugh. and it's an hour and almost ten minutes before Doom is Doom. Mm-hmm. Before the bad guy is even there, and then you've got twenty minutes to not only have your third act but wrap it up. And mm-hmm. I was like, "Ooh, this is because I look because I paused to get up and get another drink, which I didn't have nearly enough to to stomach <laughs> to stomach this film." And I looked and I was like, "Wait a minute, we've only got twenty minutes left of this, and Doom's not even been found yet." I was like, "Oh boy, this is not this is no this is not good." So it could be that all that time was uh, was Josh Trank trying to set up something that he was going to pay off later. I don't know, maybe in- including um, powers, maybe. I just I just don't think it's that I just don't think it's that hard. I mean, it, it just <laughs> just make the the whole you know the the movie doesn't you don't need to have Doom be the first guy, right? You know, if you have confidence in your film. Have it be about the four of them and have it be about them being a family and have some little side yes. villain be the villain that you can like just the mo- like the like mole the mole man, man. Yeah. Yeah. or just some or just some monster like maybe they have some something that's uh that they accidentally take back from wherever they go or whatever mm-hmm. and just have it be some monster that looks sort of like from the first issue or something yeah you yeah. Know? Just have yeah. it be something like that and then have it focus on the main characters. But instead, you've got to try to get all of this Doom history and all of this Doom relationship and then his character, which for some reason he just wants to blow up all of Earth and just sit where by himself. In the, in the dismal wherever he got stuck and trapped in. <laughs> and he is such a baby. I couldn't believe – like I always look at Doom – and even though he's he's kind of it's one of those where you know Marvel uses the same villains like a lot so you're it kind of gets watered down so you got to kind of choose your your runs that you remember of the characters. 
But I always think of the of of Doom like the I almost think of him as like the anti Captain America sort of a personality. I always think of him from like the Secret Wars stuff where it's like he's he just doesn't give up ever mm-hmm. and just always has this sort of I'm correct and I'm capable and he's very smart and he's not like mustache twirling villain. Like he's got the the sort of um he's got a good reason doing what he's doing kind of a villain. Mm-hmm. Is what I always think of. And here yes. he's just like, oh, she doesn't like me. They left me behind, even though they tried saving me. So I'm just going to blow up the entire earth. <laughs> that is just like, oh, this, it just, it just struck me as being very sort of, uh, simple. Like his motives were well, really tr- simple. They tried to give him, they tried to, they tried to layer in his whole nihilistic approach to, to earth anyway, before he went to that place. Like he was, he was this hacker, not a hacker. What was he? Some kind of, some kind of cyber terrorist. Who knows? Yeah. He, he was, he was he supposed was, <laughs> to be some like evil blogger during the script phase. And I was like, what does yeah. that even mean? <laughs> but just to the fact that he, in, in, in combing over the world situation, he was unhappy with any of it. Mm-hmm. And he thought that maybe if we were going to destroy ourselves because of the way we were acting, it would be good enough for us. So it's not, so it's kind of like they tried to tell us that he didn't like the planet to begin with. And so he goes over there, he gets stuck over there, he gets empowered over there. And if he's going to rule over there or at least make that place better, he has to siphon all the energy from here. Mm. And so he didn't care that this would destroy us because he didn't like us to begin with. That's that's the best that is the absolute best I can do yeah. to find <laughs> to find out his motives. God. But it it still just didn't serve it didn't serve for a a good climax. Oh and the oh god. It was so bad. It was so bad that they got oh that just that final battle was just so horrible. Mm. I mean the, the uh, they were First of all, not first of all, because we're we're down the road now. <laughs> Third of all, maybe fourth or fifth of all, the people that get powers in the first place aren't Sue wasn't even involved. Mm-hmm. Sue Sue being the only female evidently in New York City and in that Baxter building just happened to be the one to go into the control room and got washed over by the by the blowback. Mm-hmm. And that gives her powers. So nobody else was around. I suppose if there were other technicians around, then it would be the Fantastic Nine or maybe the Fantastic <laughs> 24? Come on! Well, and the whole idea of Ben Grimm even being there was preposterous, too. Seriously preposterous. Oh, and get this. And get this. In the beginning, when they were little kids, you could see the Empire State Building from where they lived. Mm-hmm. Okay. He had to... They they had to get a taxi. They had to get all sorts of transportation to get over there. So that took time. And I've been that far from New York City. It takes about 45 minutes, maybe a good hour to get back into the city. Read drunk calls Ben on the phone, says, you need to come over here. I want you to be here with us. Ben gets there in about seven minutes, <laughs> I think. Reed is still drunk mm-hmm. off of one sip of mm-hmm. something. Yeah. No. So sudden, So I guess their experimentation in the Baxter Foundation shrunk all of New York. To the size of one neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, because they have that. Because doesn't Victor has that little flask that holds about like a third of a beer or something in it? 
and they all slipped out of it. And all three of them are drinking out of it, and they're just (laughs) trashed. (laughs) Reed is so drunk that he goes into another dimension without telling anybody or taking any precautions or doing anything scientific anymore. That's how drunk he got. Mm. Lightweight. It just doesn't make sense because you, I mean, the, the scenarios are so easy to put together because you just have, you can have Johnny be the one that is sort of, uh, frustrated because he's wanting to do all of this stuff without having to go through all of the, the science, right? He's just wanting mm-hmm. his end result. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, he could be the one that just says, Hey, let's just go over there. Let's just do it. Let's go now. Yeah. But and, what did they have him do? They had him sit back in the cut and let Reed be the idiot. Yep. And then Reed could be the one who is manipulated because he's drunk or whatever and talked into it. And you could have Ben eventually get there and try to protect him and be the yes. one that's protective. And then you would have the little the beef between Ben and and Johnny. Mm-hmm. And it's just so it's so easy, Alan. It's not hard. <laughs> so why don't they do I it? I can't What's understand that. You know, this is my biggest frustration. When I heard about the X-Men stuff and the Fantastic Four stuff, I was like, oh, okay, cool. That means that you can get X-Men and Avengers together. But my main thing was you have to make a good Fantastic Four movie. Lord, yes. Because they're an absolute joke. Like The the other two movies weren't very good either, but they weren't this bad. Nope. No, they weren't. Oh, Because when they finally – oh, my gosh. So they, so they had this accident. They came up. They had these powers. Things went bad. Things blew up. Now we fade out, and it's a year later. <laughs> yeah. What, <laughs> what well, the actual fuck? The whole point. The whole point is you see what happened to them right after, and they you deal with Ben being an absolute monster, and you deal with Reed's like, why the hell are my arms forty feet long? That kind of stuff. <laughs> Yes. I mean, you make that section into like a horror movie. And that's that's what I think I heard Josh Trank was trying to do, trying to explore the body horror of their – and that's why I wish that 20th 20, 20 Century Fox, 21st Century – whoever they are now, and that little, <laughs> that little synopsis that you read at the beginning of this was true because mm-hmm. it's not true. Mm-hmm. They did not have time to deal with the horror of what happened to them. They really touched on it, and it was effective in a like thirty seconds worth of film. It was effective to have to have Professor Storm looking at his son's body on fire, burning, mm-hmm. unconscious, and looking at his adopted daughter fading in and out of existence. And seeing her internal organs and things, that was effective. He he looked horror-stricken, and it was scary, yes. But now we fade out, and it's a year later, and it's all done. All the drama, all the, all the fear, all the body horror finished. And now there are these people working for the government being shot into battle zones hmm. and murdering um, soldiers. Yeah, just going to Iraq and killing all the brown people, apparently. Is like what it is, you know, because it's like, oh, we'll just send them to the Middle East and just have them kill a bunch of people. And now I get to get on my soap opera about race in the movie. Mm, All right. Look at that segue. Because if they really cared about having a black Johnny Storm, then what I needed for them to do was have a black Johnny Storm. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have. 
But what do you mean, Alan? Johnny Storm. But Alan, he was interested in cars. That's that's a black thing, right? <laughs> right. What he a was joke. In, he was in the streets racing. That's a black thing. <laughs> he was breaking rules. That's a black breaking thing. Breaking rules. Come on. We do that. That's Jesus. what we do. Jesus, that's terrible. I'm surprised they didn't uh, have him shot shot in the middle of the street before he uh, got his powers. But he goes to work for the for the United States government, being one of their hired guns. Uh, they send they send Ben and they drop him from which was in the trailer, but not in the movie. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Mm-hmm. They drop him into war zones, and he goes and he throws around battle tanks and everything. Johnny Storm is ready to go, fly and shoot fire bombs. And and join the action. Excuse me. He's supposed to be a black guy. Raised by a black guy. Mm-hmm. In America. Why would he be so very, very eager to go over to another land and kill people? Mm-hmm. When in his own land, he's not treated right. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what world viewers are living in. But we still have a ways to go yeah. in America. And if you're going to cast a black actor and create a black character, then I need that black character to live a black life. Now, I'm not saying actually kill him or actually shoot him by do the things, the horrors that we see. But I need him to have some kind of consciousness about what he is facing in his country and take that sensitivity, consciousness, identity into the role. Otherwise... All you're doing for me, in my mind, is painting white Johnny Storm brown. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. he's the, He is the whitest black character I've ever seen. And I am never behind that. I, I never want that. Mm-hmm. I never want that. So now we're going to get Black Panther, and you, mm-hmm. will, you, will, you will find out how to cast and how to portray and write for and show us an actual black character. Yeah. Well, you'll see Michael B. Jordan in in the Black Panther getting a chance to to be a black character instead of the whitewashed character that he is. Yeah, and that's and that is always that will always be the reason why I have a problem with them just swapping races out for characters that are traditionally something else in the comics. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to do that, do it with do it 100%. Don't just do it because you want a brown person on the screen. And I want you to do more when you cast and you put a black character into an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. I need that. I just need that. But, Alan, when are you going to get the the, uh, the handshake slash fist bump in that comic gold? <laughs> when are you going to get that if you don't have a black character? <laughs> because white guys don't never do that. No, they never do. That's a black person thing. It's only a black person oh, thing. Oh, man, alive. Oh, so let's talk about the 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 final act that you had uh, briefly mentioned. So uh, we have Doom, and he's trying to basically destroy the Earth, and um, we've got the sort the like the same blue bolt of lightning sort of thing that you see in like forty different comic book movies, and then we've got them sort of figuring out that they can't beat him individually, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay. Hmm. I wonder where this is going. So <laughs> they can't beat him individually. Reed, by the way, after uh, having his arms stretched out, seems the the most well adjusted to having basically like Plastic Man type stuff, right? To where he yeah. can he can move his, move his arms around and, and all that kind of thing. And 
Um, they didn't do, go too crazy on that. I didn't know if that was a time or a budget or a, or both kind of a situation right. where like, oh, yeah, he's just got like Stretch Armstrong arms, and that was basically it. Um, but, you know, they can't beat him individually, so they have to learn to work together, and they sort of work together and and – and kill Doctor Doom and oh man. Back, backtrack just a very little bit, very little bit. When we when we go forward in a in a year, the year that passed is because Reed got out of there <clears throat> during that body horror scene where they discovered these people are all changed and Reed is all stretched out. Reed got out, right? Reed didn't mm-hmm. stay. So the only people that the government was using was Sue, Ben, and Johnny. Ben mostly. Johnny was a runner-up, couldn't wait to get his murder on. And Sue, <laughs> and Sue is trying to tell Johnny, don't do this. It's not right. We just have to get better. We have to fight. let them give us a cure. Reed is out in the field somewhere, and he learned how to change his facial features. Oh, right. Yes. As well. So he's hiding. He doesn't want to be in, involved in that stuff, but he wants to go back to help them. And then when then <clears throat> the government decides um, – oh, Oh, here we go. Sue's one redeeming feature in this movie is supposed to be that she has a way with patterns. Oh, pattern recognition, yes. And they used her to go online (laughs) and find the patterns that drew them to where Reed Richards is hiding out on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. In this scene that's supposed to be revelatory and show us this is Sue's wonderful contribution to this movie she can do this and oh it was so stupid it was so useless so so sue is the one that basically traded up and turned reed in they sent ben in to fight him they dragged him back to the place now they have the four of them together so now they're still not a team and they still aren't supposed to be uh they're still not a family they still have no relationship they're not the Fantastic Four I'm looking for. And then Doom comes through. Mm-hmm. Then Doom says, by the way, I'm evil now, and I'm mad, and I want to power my world, and I'm going to eat up everybody here. And so he makes this guy's head blow up, and this guy's head blow up, <laughs> yeah. and this guy's head blow up. He has the completely undefined power set of just making heads blow up. And they and he kills Professor Storm mm-hmm. because they because the brother and sister team in this movie had no relationship whatsoever so mm-hmm. they had to find some way to have them have a relationship they maybe cried for 2 seconds and then now they are motivated to stop Doctor Doom. Now the four come together. Yeah. Now they decide they're going to fight Doctor Doom. It seemed, oh. seemed like they had never met each other. It seemed At like they had, they seemed like they had no idea who the other one was. So therefore, when they go to this other world to fight Dr. Doom and stop him from blowing our planet up, they don't know how to fight because they don't know each other. And they get their behinds whooped individually until Reed, Mr. Gen- – I guess it takes a genius level to say, we have to combine our powers and fight him together. That's the only way we're going to win. Thanks, Reed. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that because now I know – what you're good for in this movie. Mm. Something that anybody could have said. Anybody who reads a comic book could tell you this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't. I can't. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I can't. So, so, and, and then there were these, the, the most trite little phrases that they threw out there. Oh, God, yeah. During this fight, so stupid, so useless, 
So, uh, we can't beat him. I wrote this down. <laughs> we can't beat him. He's stronger than any of us. Not stronger than all of us. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. I wanted to. I, I, ugh, I was. Make it stop. Make it stop. That's why it's a good thing it was only an hour and 40 minutes. So they do, and they beat him, and. Oh, and then and then they do the Superman type stuff, right? Where they where they they get awarded this entire laboratory because they're all scientists, so it's fine. And yeah, except all, Ben. Yeah, and Ben's, Ben's just basically not. like, "What the hell am I going to do here? What what am I going to do with my my naked uh, orange <laughs> self <laughs> with no genitalia?" Yeah, no wonder he's so upset. I mean, that's really what it is, and that that was a complete miss too. the The voice was all wrong. It sounded like he was in a suit instead of being like a rock person, and he just was like kind of bummed out, <laughs> like he wasn't full of rage or anything. And I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so they're they're all up there and they're trying to think of names for each other, and it, it was the whole the S stands for hope stuff. And I was just like, oh Jesus, tell me you're not, tell me you're not doing this right now. <laughs> well, you're just a thing that nobody wanted to blah blah blah. Oh, it's so horrible, <laughs> so horrible. The one saving grace in that naming convention is that they didn't actually say it. Mm-hmm. They cut off the film before they said, I know what to call us. And then it went black. Like they were – they almost said the Fantastic Four, but they didn't. They stopped. So that's one saving grace that they didn't take us all the way there. Mm-hmm. But they said too much already. It was already uh, bad. It was already bad. It was It was really not good. They wasted Michael B. Jordan's talents. Mm-hmm. He has so much more potential. They wasted it. They wasted Jamie Bell. Well, and see, even Miles Teller can be good. Like, he was really good in Whiplash. Um, but other than that, I haven't, I mean, I know that he's a kind of has been a Hollywood darling for a little bit, but he was good in Whiplash. He was terrible in this. Yo. So that just goes to show, you know, a lot of the times it depends on what script you have to work with and how the director wants you to do certain things. And I guess, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you saw this already, but the director and miles Teller almost came to blows on set at one point. And then they talked about how he, you know, the director had uh, lobbied for miles Teller to to play that role to begin with. And And why'd they fight? Why'd they have a fight? I don't know. And then they talked about, uh, Allison Williams is who this, the studio wanted. Or is either that's who Josh Trank wanted for uh, for Invisible Woman, and she was um, she was the female lead in the the movie Get Out this year. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, she was the girl in that, and I was like, well, I, I mean, at least I guess. I mean, I don't know that there's a significant difference between the two of them. They look sort of similar to me. Ah. Uh. But she she's I hope got they would have had blonde hair at least. Yeah, she I was like she's got at least more of a presence I feel like than Kate Mara does, but that's just me. Plus, Sue's character didn't change in that last scene either. She was still sullen and she was still sulky and she was still kind of ugh. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. What a mess. What a mess. What a miss. I didn't like it. Okay, well let's uh, let's move on to our next film.
uh, has a decidedly different tone than oh, the Fantastic boy, Four. It is yes. from 2016. I love you, Wade Wilson. It is dead. We can fight this. You're right. The cancer's only my liver, lungs, prostate, and brain. It's all things I can live without. What if I told you we can make you better? You're a fighter. We can give you abilities most men only dream of. Make you a superhero. You just promise you'll do right by me, so I can do right by someone else. And please don't make the super suit green or animate it. One thing that never survives this place is a sense of humor. Uh, we'll see about that, Posh Spice. Oh, come on. You don't leave me all alone here with less angry Rosie O'Donnell? Wait! You may be wondering why the red suit. Well, that's so bad guys can't see me bleed. This guy's got the right idea. He wore the brown pants. Cue the music. X-Girl, give it to you. Wait for you to get it. What the? X-Girl, deliver to you. Oh. Red with the enemy. No matter how many caps I break, red with a enemy. Rick's like old lady pants in here. Why such a douche this morning? Oh, God, you are hard to look at. You look like the topographical map of Utah. Exactly. I am very turned on right now. You are haunting. You look like an avocado had sex with an older avocado. Thank you. And the IMDb plot synopsis that is also written by 20th Century Fox goes like this. This is the origin story of former special forces operative turned mercenary Wade Wilson, who after being subjected to a rogue experiment that leaves him with accelerated healing powers, adopts the alter ego Deadpool. Armed with his new abilities and a dark, twisted sense of humor, Deadpool hunts down the man who nearly destroyed his life. All right, I liked that uh, plot synopsis much better. It's accurate than the Fantastic Four one. So <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me your history with the character of Deadpool. So I have no history with the character of Deadpool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Every time that I have a friend who will talk about how great Deadpool is, I will listen and I would, I would appreciate that they love this character. But it, this character never appealed to me. Because the breaking of the fourth wall thing can get really old to me, and I I like to be immersed in the in the content of of a comic book. I like to live in that world. I like to explore what it's like to be in a world full of superheroes and what it might be like to be a superhero and the challenges and the exercise of powers and all that stuff. I like that, and breaking the fourth wall to me is just saying, by the way, this is just a comic book, and we're just having fun here, mm -hmm. 
And so let's just have some fun. And I'm not I'm not against fun, but give me fun in the context of me being in this comic book world. Don't take me out of the comic book world. So I've never been attracted to the character of Deadpool. Okay. So my history with it is um, I didn't know, but it makes total sense now that uh, when Rob Liefeld decided to put this character into the pages of New Mutants and then X-Force and then his own book, um, he was based off of Slade Wilson, which is Deathstroke in the DC universe. Yes. Where it's just the sort of killing machine type of a character, you know, mm-hmm. as all of this, all of the different, abil- all of the different abilities and that kind of thing. And in the books at the beginning, they had his word balloons in yellow for some reason. And I was like, okay, well, that's weird. And he talked a lot. And I was like, well, that's interesting that it, they, he didn't really have like a sense of humor. He just talked like a lot <laughs> at the beginning. And I'm like, okay, I can kind of get along with this. He seems like it's a dangerous guy that's, you know, taking down all of these, uh, former new mutants and this sort of thing. And then his book came out and it was a Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis book. And it was right in the time in the nineties where I was picking up most of what Marvel was putting out. And so I, so I read it and I enjoyed it and it was very much in the whole weasel and blind owl. And it got a lot into the, um, you know, he was, kind of crazy like he was when they show before uh before he gets uh all of the medical stuff happened to him and okay. he was kind of like that and then they um give him and he had cancer and they give him the healing factor and it kind of drives him crazy so he's got that sort of uh initial mindset and then it's just amplified by like a million and so watching this i was like well that's that's pretty dead on. Like that's pretty much what he's like in the book. Cool. And I can see why this is a thing that some people really, really enjoy. Uh, it's something that I, boy, when, when the book became hot and it started selling on eBay, I sold those with the quickness and made made all kinds of money. I remember buying, I remember trading in issues of Deadpool to buy a Wii when the Wii was first a big deal. All right. And then I ended up buying a second Wii and trading that into like some kind of Blu-ray player when the Blu-ray was like a big deal or something like that. Okay, Eric. Yeah. Do your thing, bro. <laughs> and so I was like, ah, you know, I was like, ah, oh, these are fun, but I, I'm not married to this character. I don't really need to collect all of these. Um, you, was, you was up there like, uh, like that dude on Saturday Night Live. Deadpool been very, very good to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and so um, so they came out, and was, I was like, okay, it'll be interesting to see what this is kind of like. And then when they said, you know, after the whole terrible uh, Wolverine Origins thing that Ryan Reynolds was going to be the character, I was like, that makes complete sense. That is what he sounds like to me. Mm. And oh, we'll see. You know, and I hadn't, mm. I didn't go to the theater because I saw the trailer and thought it was really sort of, a lot like it was it was really kind of the the sort of humor that i've grown out of times a hundred you know and I, that's what i expected from the are you are you mean the wolverine, wolverine origins or the deadpool movie itself yeah, yeah from the deadpool movie trailer okay when he's up there and he's singing salt and pepper and i was like you don't know salt yeah. and pepper. I'm like get out of here <laughs> um, well <laughs> and uh, and so he's 
he he was on the bridge and they and they were doing the previews and I was like, oh okay, uh, I know exactly what this type of movie is going to be and it's going to have a lot of the fourth wall stuff and and that's fine and it did really well and you know that it, they're going to have a sequel I think still depending yeah. on the uh, the whole rights oh, issue. Oh right, 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 right. Um, Who's going to do the sequel now? Yeah, this made seven hundred and eighty three million dollars. How about it? And it was uh, the budget was fifty eight million dollars. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what? Wait, what? Mm-hmm. Only fifty eight million dollars? Only fifty eight. Yeah. To make Colossus and to do all that stop motion stuff. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> that's, what, that's right. Damn. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So they, uh, so they did a lot with what they had, basically. Oh, yeah. Um, take that. That ought to be filmmaking, superhero filmmaking 101. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things that is, is interesting to me is, um, Josh Trank, who did Fantastic Four, he did one film before that, which was Chronicle, which is a, a found footage movie. Right. And this was Tim Miller, who directed this film. This was his first, uh, job directing. Oh. And he, has passed on doing the sequel and he instead is going to do a Terminator reboot. Okay. Okay. Because so, we need one of those. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, like you were saying about some of the, uh, the actors and actresses, I mean, get your money. <laughs> do, you do you, Tim Miller, but I don't know about that. Seriously. I mean, I'm not going to be mad at people making their money, but just, it won't be in your mind. You won't be making money from out of my pocket because I, I, I've got no time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting into the film, I was struck at first by – I thought that that opening credit sequence was really fun. Uh, I kind of liked some of the jokes that they had in there where they said like, you know, it was a hot chick, uh, comic relief instead of di- having different people's names uh, based on how they were billed. Yes. And so I thought that that was – fun enough and and i was especially after seeing how much uh the movie didn't really cost i was pretty impressed with the way that that opening sequence looked and i found myself liking it more than i expected to but by the time the the movie was over i was like okay i've i've had enough of the joke (laughs) like i get the joke and some of the lines are funny and i'm sure ryan reynolds had a wonderful time making the movie because he got to you know, just basically act like he was in a, a Seth Rogen type of a comedy and mm. just, you know, just uh, say whatever he wanted to and make all of the dick jokes he wanted to make and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm sure it was fine. But by the end, I was like, OK, I'm ready for this to be over now. <laughs> you know, so like I liked the movie. I think I gave it uh, I think it was like three and a half stars or something like that um, out of five. And. I liked it. I thought it was well done, but by the end, I, I had had my fill of it. Like it wouldn't be a, a movie that I would, I would want to go back and watch and watch and watch. And uh, there's not a whole lot to analyze and that kind of thing. It was just like it, it struck me as the tone of being something that I would have loved when I was in middle school and high school. But now I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I'm good. I saw it once. That's <laughs> enough. So what did you think of the movie and your sort of real first real exposure, I guess, to the character? True. I mean, I did get that exposure from Wolverine Origins, but 
we all got robbed, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? They they gave us a nice dose of Wade Wilson in the beginning, and then they sewed his mouth shut <laughs> for the rest of the movie, yeah. and so and made him into something that doesn't even resemble Deadpool. So I don't even know what they were wasting their time for. Mm-hmm. So this 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 treatment, I bought it. I it, he got me. His his personality. And the things that he, um, the fun that he was having, I got caught up mm. in in it. And, and the way that I understand that opening sequence, that they kind of took that from, uh, was it a fan made, or was it somebody made a Deadpool uh, short action um, kind of a, a mock? Um, what are those um, machina? Like a, like a mockumentary or something. It was it was him on a, a an a highway overpass waiting for a um one of those SUVs to come underneath him and then he drops into it and he kills everybody in it and it's something that was maybe three minutes long maybe five minutes long oh and it was made it was either I doubt if it was fan made because they cribbed a lot of it and I haven't been watched it because I didn't want to be uh, spoiled on the movie itself. Well, maybe it was just like a proof of concept sort of a thing from the director or something. Could be that. Could be that. Mm. And and when uh and they expanded on that for this. Oh, hold on for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Happy New Year. Oh, thank you. Happy New Year. <laughs> Is the cat? Of course he did. I'll get him. I'll get him. Thanks. This is that. Oh, precious! That was my roommate's mom who went to toast with me. Happy New Year! Because <laughs> nice. we are on, we are on, we are on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. And then one of the cats decided to come in because the cat loves. Closed doors. Oh God, do I know that? Yes. What's behind every closed door? (laughs) Now you see what's behind every closed door here. Now he's not even looking at me. I'm holding him, and he's looking away because he's a cat. That's why. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Bye, cat. Out you go. All right. Where were we? Ooh, this is this is pink champagne. Now for for the drink roll call, I'm having pink champagne. (laughs) There you go. Switching it up. Um, 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 happy so you year. were you were telling me that you were uh, you bought into it based on his personality, and then you're talking about the uh, the fan made or maybe uh, not fan made. Yes. So I knew that I knew going in that they were going to expand on on a lot of action and violence, mm-hmm. and so I had to steal myself from for that. So it was the personality of of Ryan Reynolds that drew me into the movie, and all the Violence that had me keeping a distance mm. from the movie because I'm not in it for I, I, I that violence made me cringe. You hear me when I'm telling you? Mm-hmm. I mean, they did some pretty nasty and gross things with that violence. Like in that opening thing, there was one guy who got ejected and splattered into a one of the a, a highway sign. Oh right, yep, mm-hmm. splattered into it. And then you don't see him for the rest of the action sequence until the action sequence is over, and he's and he's he's confronted by Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead, 
which I love to say that entire name, <laughs> and, and I always will. Mm-hmm. And when he's trying to um, up, not not apologize, but trying to justify what he did and and downplay the violence that he's created and caused, and the murders and the deaths, that body slides off. Mm-hmm. slides off of the sign and splatters onto the highway and I'm like, "Oh, oh my god. I did I did not need that. I yeah. didn't need that." Cuz he says uh oh that he was already here when I got here. <laughs> yeah. That's what he says when he falls. So it's it's really the 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 plot is is pretty threadbare and it takes the um personality and the the dialogue to Carry, it took that to carry me through, it, and I loved it. So mm. I, I, it got me, and I was in. And even when he broke the fourth wall, I accepted that as this is what the movie is, and I'm into this movie. I'm fine with that because that's the presentation of this character, and it didn't it didn't take me out of the movie oddly enough. Hmm. Oh, uh, I should mention this is uh, this is way farther along than I remembered it was. So the the film, the sequel of this actually comes out in June. Okay. And this is the, because uh, this is the movie that Cable's going to be in with uh, with Josh Brolin playing Cable. Yeah, Josh Brolin is now all the other superheroes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's uh, Thanos, he's Cable, he's whatever you want him to be. He was Jonah Hex. Oh, God, that movie is just as bad as Fantastic Four. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> once they once they hire one of these guys to be in these movies, they just use them up. Yeah. So you you really enjoyed it. Um, I would say that uh, some of the things that I really liked is I think that Ryan Reynolds is a genuinely funny guy, and so I think that the majority of the stuff that he was saying was was pretty funny, and I kind of liked the fact that it was letting it be inappropriate because that was the point right that's exactly right yep is it's trying to make you be like oh you shouldn't say that or oh you shouldn't make fun of people's uh traumas uh when they were talking about who had it worse when uh morena or vanessa the movie i guess Mm -hmm. uh, when she's talking about what what a terrible life that she's had and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. uh so i did uh so i appreciated that and i thought that the action was really well done at at some point it all becomes just kind of like i mean they might as well have like uh, nerf guns and and little uh little plastic swords because a lot of the violence doesn't mean anything at some points it just that overblown and yeah and because that... it's, there's so much of it it's just like okay you know i'm just seeing this over and over and over i'm not uh none of it's really impactful for me Although they did get me when they got into the whole uh, the whole oxygen chamber and that kind ah, of thing. Okay, because that is one of my things. I do not like feeling restricted and and uh, in tight places and that kind of stuff. So, oh, claustrophobia! Yeah, a little claustrophobia, a little bit of uh, not being able to breathe and, and asphyxiation. That, yes, that kind of goes along with the whole uh, having anxiety and that kind of stuff about shortness of breath and that sort of thing. Oh, I hear you. So I was like, I, I do not like this. Right. So, mm-hmm. But the, I, I guess the idea was for us to have to, to be motivated along with him as to why he wanted to get Ajax so badly. Mm-hmm. 
Ajax had, I mean, this guy had to do some pretty horrible things to Wade in order, because Wade is already a killer. We get that. But he's a killer with a heart of gold because we see him on a job at the very beginning. Uh, when we go after we get after that action sequence and he's killing all these men. Well, why is he killing all these men? Because he's trying to get to this one guy. Why is he trying to get to this one guy? Well, because when we go back, we find out that Mr. Mercenary has a heart of gold, fell in love, and was diagnosed with cancer and was approached by somebody and said, we can help cure your cancer if you subject yourself to our experiments. Those experiments was run by Ajax, and Ajax did all these horror, horrific things to all these different people to try to trigger what, a mutant? Was he trying to trigger a mutant gene? Yeah, he said it would uh, it would release whatever mutant gene that they had in there if they stressed them enough. Yeah, so they were doing all sorts of horrific things to him, and that was one of the horrific things that could trigger anxieties for the casual viewer. Mm-hmm. But the thing that the thing that I I think what helped me buy in was the story element, the character element, the love story part, and what and just as you mentioned, um, Vanessa and him meeting each other, that was kind of the opposite of meeting cute. It was like meeting brutal. <laughs> right. <laughs> because because they met coincidentally, and then they started trading those horror stories, and they found each other able to match each other's morose sense of humor, mm-hmm. and they just also happened to be hot as fuck. Yeah. I have a, I have a lot of – I have and has have always had a lot of time for Miss Morena – Bakarin or Bakarin or however you want to say it. Bakarin. Yeah. She is, uh, she, wow, she does not look it. She is about four months older than me. Hmm. <laughs> well, she doesn't look it in what way? <laughs> I feel like I look like I'm older than she is. <laughs> she was born in, she's, uh, she's almost 40 years old. Holy shit. Ah, oh, so you, sir, are almost 40 years old. I know. You remember being 40, right, Alan? It was like it was two, a, two, three years ago? A long, long time ago. Yeah, but she's uh, she is quite a fan of science fiction and uh, of the comic book world because she she's also in Gotham or yep. was in Gotham. Um, she was, of course, in Serenity. She yes. is the, the voice of Talia al Ghul. From Batman Beyond or Batman Bad Blood, uh, she was in V. Yes, the, uh, that that resurrected show. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, so she's been in, in you know she was uh, she was Black Canary in Justice League Unlimited. So she's been in a lot of stuff. To where she stuff. she loves this sort of genre, and, and she, it loves it loves her. Yeah, and she has mentioned that she would love to be a Bond girl. That's one of her bucket list. Uh, items. It might happen. Yeah. It might happen. She just needs to act right in her life. <laughs> I don't agree with all her life choices. Hmm. I don't know about but, her life choices. But that's not my business. Hmm. I'll, I'll be dropping uh, Wendy Williams type bombs if I if I start going into her, her personal life. Y'all just go ahead and Google it and find out what she's been up to. Hmm. But she's a marvelous actor and a beautiful woman. And I first noticed her on... Um, on Firefly, of course. I think that might have been one of her breakout roles. And she just brought she in that in that role she played a prostitute. Mm-hmm. But she brought a grace to the role. She made it 
she made it a lot more than just your, well, you know, her and Joss Whedon and whoever else is involved in elevating these characters instead of making them um, stereotypical or, or rotten. But what she did with the part was she wouldn't allow, and it was written that way, she wouldn't allow her role to be denigrated. Right. That and that's, that's a little something that happens now in our modern world about sex work and sex workers. And that if if a person is doing it not out of coercion and not out of desperation, but if they choose that as a as a career and it's a, a function and they're in a lot of control over what they do, then there should be some kind of protections put in place legally for them. Mm hmm. And this part that she played in it, just the way she carried herself in this role, gave me a, another sense of the responsibility we might have to every citizen in every field of, of uh, endeavor, anything that they do, that if if they are in control and if they're making conscious choices and they need protection by all means. So anyway, that's how Marina Baccarin came onto my scope. That she played this. She played a sex worker, but she she redeemed this part. And I expected her to do that in every role. And then I expected her to do that in her personal life. And it's not always that. It's not always that way. Yeah. Well, what I like about it is is she she comes across like you like to say this word, but she has presence. Yes. To where she always seems like she's in charge of whatever situation she's in. Yep. And I like yes. that about the characters that she plays is where she you no, know, it's like, no, no, she's in charge. She's the one who's going to tell you how things are going to be. Yep. And that's why in this role and her her relationship, Vanessa's relationship with Wade, it was so much more than just here's two people. They meet cute. They are the couple of the movie. It, it was a lot more like here's a, here's a woman. Hard life chooses this dude opens herself up and becomes vulnerable, but also is in very much in control. And their whole sex montage mm -hmm. that earned this rating R, I think the sex earned the rating R more than the, um, than the violence and the language. Because mm -hmm. they didn't hold back. No. Like, it was, <laughs> it was obvious what these folks were doing. Mm-hmm. And having a good goddamn time doing it. You hear me what I'm telling you? An entire year's worth. They were celebrating every holiday with every manner of sex. And the Lent thing really made me laugh, where they're just sitting there reading. <laughs> <laughs> because they gave that up for years. Yeah, they weren't doing anything. They were just sitting there reading, yeah. Bored. <laughs> and, and I like to, t and I, and I, <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing I'm going to say, because I'm me. <laughs> <laughs> they explored <laughs> and talk about her being in control in her roles. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, <laughs> that was a scene, ladies and gentlemen. You better recognize <laughs> <laughs> Miss Vanessa decided I'm going to be in charge this time. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not just going to be on top. I'm going to be the penetrator this mm -hmm. time. And good old Ryan Reynolds, bless his heart. He played this so well, mm -hmm. and it was only maybe a second and a half on the screen, but the sound effects were so right. <laughs> His facial expression was so right. Mm -hmm. Her facial expression was so right. So they employed some toys, and she explore, he explored his anal side. Mm -hmm. just he wasn't uh, real pleased about it either. Well, because it's a shock. Because I believe he was saying, nope, 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 nope. 
I don't remember him saying nope. Oh. I remember I remember the sound of that thing kind of getting kind of swallowed up. And okay, if he said nope, maybe he said nope. Maybe I was projecting a little bit. Maybe I was mm. thinking, come on, Ryan, you know you like it. But that's just me. That's just me. That's so, what maybe maybe what I brought to the role. So we talked about we talked about how uh Vanessa looked what about uh, Mr. Reynolds in his uh state of undress during the sequence I know. see and I'm I do my best not to just you know be that dude fawning all of but yeah man, it's ridiculous it's ridiculous mm-hmm. okay so Ryan Reynolds that body looks so good y'all <laughs> y'all know it does know. I mean it does you know, I mean, shoulders on point, traps on point, chest on point, muscles in the back. That's a lot of that made some of the sex scenes so good because you see the back of this man and you mm-hmm. see all these muscles just flexing while he's doing his business. <laughs> it's so hot. It's so hot. It's like just that. also it was just also hot. So all the sex, all the sex mm-hmm. for me worked in this movie. They they showed just enough. They didn't show too much. It's it's a balance I'm trying to strike <laughs> in my artwork. It's just good stuff, mm-hmm. and it worked for me. Mm-hmm. What do you think about um, our villain in this film? Because a lot of the times that the basically what they what they ran into, I feel like, is the the movie is obviously about Deadpool. He's got to be the main personality so you can't have your villain also be an equal personality because it would be too much of a of a conflict there so it's almost like he's got to be the opposite he's got to be the cold calculating type which is what they went for in this one so what did you think of francis of uh of ajax i think he made a good foil mm-hmm. for deadpool because deadpool's seeking his revenge against this guy when whenever they would clash, Deadpool had all the funny lines. Ajax had all the scowling and the resistance and trying to <clears throat> trying to um, just not play into into Deadpool's um, all his verb all his verbiage. Mm-hmm. And it worked it worked fine for me. Yeah, he did. He didn't stand out so much that he detracted from me. I just wanted him to get his ass whooped in every single way possible, <laughs> which he finally does. And I do the. Uh... I do like how they the screenplay sets up this whole what's my name stuff. Yeah. Right? Where he keeps saying, what's my name? What's my name? And he's finally got him at gunpoint there at the end. And he says, any last words? And he says, what's my name? And he cocks the gun and says, who fucking cares? <laughs> <laughs> I just love that that's, a, that that's in there. Because the obvious choice is for him to say Francis. Or for him to do something or have some line. But instead to say, who fucking cares? I thought that, that was good good i thought that that was funny there were definitely lines in here that that made me laugh and i felt like i was you know it definitely did bring me back into when i first uncovered this or discovered i would say discovered this character and and uh and some of the jokes in there i thought were genuinely funny where he's like uh you know earlier he says what's my name 
And Deadpool says, I'll spell it out for you. And then you see a bunch of bodies that are spelled out to spell, Francis. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so that that little thing is funny. The little nods where they talk about uh, where Colossus is talking about where will take you to Professor Xavier. And he says, well, which one, McAvoy or Stewart? Right. You know, the, that sort of thing made me laugh. The, uh, the biggest laugh I think the movie got for me was at the end. And they finally do the the pull off the mask reveal, and he for, takes his and he, oh yeah. for Wade, and he takes his uh, mask off, and he's got a cutout of of Hugh, Hugh Jack- Jackman's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that made me laugh. <laughs> and so it was that sort of thing. It's the him looking at his watch and it's like a little Hello Kitty watch or whatever. Those that's the sort of stuff that is directly from the books. Like it's not those actual lines or anything, but that's mm. the sort of sensibility that the book has. And I think that that's fine for like a limited series for me to you know drop in and drop out of that sort of stuff. But to get it month in and month out, just continuously at that sort of um, that sort of like look how funny I am kind of writing style would kind of wear on me but but i did enjoy the movie like i liked it more than i thought i was going to for sure Mm -hmm. and what about um blind al and his relationship because i since i didn't ever read his series i didn't know where that came from or what that dropped in i just knew that the lines were funny that he was doing all over the you know the way he was going at her the way their adversarial kind of thing was going on the fact that it was leslie uggams Mm -hmm. this is what y'all don't know Here's what y'all don't know. Y'all, that's just turning 40 in this world. <laughs> y'all don't know that Miss Leslie Uggams was one of the few black women in entertainment in the 60s who could command some presence. Mm. You had Diane Carroll who had her own um, sit, sit – well, that's not sitcom. I guess it was a drama, but I guess it was lighthearted called Julia. She was the, she was the lead character in this thing. On NBC because NBC rocked back then because they also are the ones that made Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You had Lola Falana in the 70s. She had her own um, thing. And you had Leslie Uggams. So there was some history behind this this casting and I was so tickled, so happy that she was tapped, first of all, to be in any movie today and that she took this role on where she – they lampooned her. There was they were making fun of her blindness. Mm-hmm. She she got insulted by Deadpool. She gave it back. There was cussing. I was like, go ahead, Leslie Uggams. <laughs> uh, from what I from what I understand it, and this is what I remember from this original run, uh, the the Kelly and and uh, McGinnis run. It's um, outside of her being white in the book that it's all the rest of it's pretty much correct. Oh, so she was not even black in the book? No. She's, oh, a white, she's an old white lady. So does this go against my personal code? I think, well, I think so because she – in the book, she lives in just like a shitty – I think it's apartment. Mm-hmm. Maybe it might be a house as well. Um, but other than that, everything else is pretty much exactly the same. And I'm sure that the jokes are different. You know, like the jokes might be more because she's a black woman – Compared to a white woman, but I don't recall any of that specifically. 
Right. And did she ever did she ever call him white boy or anything like that? No, do she I wouldn't have called him white boy, huh? No. Okay, so but it's they, a lot of it's a lot of making fun of her because she's blind and she knows that he's ugly, so she makes fun of him and that kind of stuff. Okay. All right, so I might have to re well what I'm happy about then is that I didn't know this, mm-hmm. and I was able to enjoy the character for who the character was. Yeah, and she never really had much of a role other than just some more opportunity for comedy. Okay. And I believe in the – I want to say in the book for a while that, that the weasel character, the bartender that Tim Timothy Miller plays. Okay. Um, I believe that he was living with them. Or at ah. least was, Or at least was around them a lot because she used to talk shit about both of them, I believe. Mm. Well, see, now that this is where I suppose the opposition to my point of view comes into play, right? Because I have put out my opposition of having uh, white characters painted black for movies on my social media at times, and I've gotten um, blowback from black and white people, right? Mm. Black people saying, why can't we eat? Let us eat. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let, let a brother get apart. And I hear that, right? And so I'm, I'm still – Evidently, today, I'm still standing on, on my point. But then I hear white folks say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's the character and what the character is doesn't matter. And if it's a black character or a white character, it doesn't matter. And why not have more diversity in a, in a movie anyway? If you're going to switch them out, go ahead and switch them out so that there's more black representation. And it's good. It, can't, it can only be good for people. Hmm. So I guess in the casting of Blind Al – since there wasn't any big difference between her being white or black, you gave Leslie Uggams a shot. You had some black face on the screen. I guess their point of view in opposition of mine is uh, is the one that wins out here. Well, there you go. Like uh, in that particular case. Yeah, yeah. in that particular case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought that uh, we didn't – we haven't really talked about Gina Carano that much. I think she was fine. She's not really asked to do too much as the, yes. uh, as the angel dust character. Uh, one of the things that you may not know if, from not reading the, the, the book is, uh, the Vanessa character is, she's a mutant as well. Is in, she in well, the comics? Oh, so she, she was in the comics then. She was in the comics. Yeah. She played, uh, she's the copycat. So a little shapeshifter. Okay. Was her role, and she's like a bluish green kind of color. Oh, well, too bad that she didn't. Well, I mean, I guess it wouldn't have fit into the movie, right? Yeah. And so the, in the second one, who knows? Maybe that'll be a reveal, or maybe it'll be a, something. I don't know. Because once, once she went into that uh, that chamber, I was thinking, oh, shit, are they going to turn her green? Are they going to turn her blue? Right. Didn't, didn't, well, when she's in that chamber, didn't she suffer something in there? Before it, 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 all, everything started blowing up, and she almost and it almost fell off the. Well, I mean, she was just tr- she was struggling to breathe, but then he he threw the the sword in there, and she was fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, comparatively, <laughs> compared to what he went through in there. Yeah, really. Like she was okay for the most part, I guess. But what I guess you don't know because you hadn't realized how far along they are in the second movie. Mm. They have a femme fatale in the second movie. Oh, with uh, with Domino, right? It's Domino. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think Vanessa's going to be in the movie at all. Oh, really? That sucks. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to break your heart. Mm-hmm. 
Well, well that's right, did. because because Domino's got like a huge fro, I remember seeing. Yes, it's another uh, gender swap. But then, I mean, not gender swap, race swap. But what I don't know, and this is what I think sometimes, is that the Domino character in the comics, I get the sense that she's supposed to be a black character sometimes. Well, I think, see, now our uh, Mr. Jason Wood would know better than... He would. Than you or I, but I'm always a little iffy on her race because I didn't know if she was some like if she was like albino, like that right. was her mutation. So I That's couldn't what tell I what sort of. Uh, for some reason, I always thought she was um, like Central American or something. Oh well, now well, she know. is. She's being cast as a black woman with with a vitil, vitiligo. And that's why she has a white. Sp- that's why she has a different spot on her face. Like she has that domino effect on her face, but because she's got black skin, the domino spot is white, mm-hmm. and it's vitiligo. And I thought that was so clever. I thought it was so smart. And it is. It is a factor of her being black, right? It's like it matters. Mm-hmm. Do you see? Do you mm-hmm. see my point? It it matters that she's black. In that role, if you give her that feature as a as a as a feature of of vitiligo, like it wouldn't work if she was a white character. Yeah, it uh, it looks like I was completely incorrect. She's from the U.S. in the books. Um. So. Okay. Does it say that she's Caucasian? Um. It doesn't say that she's Caucasian, but she said she was uh, born to the U.S. government, Project Armageddon. Jen mm-hmm. was genetically engineered. So it doesn't say... Oh, she might not be anything. I don't have... Let's see. I don't see on this Marvel wiki uh, where her... It just says citizenship. I don't really see ethnicity anywhere. Hmm. Mm. And her name and her name is Nina. With yes. An e. Nina, N- yep. N-E-N-A. And that's our that's girl name. That's our black girl name. <laughs> Nina. <laughs> there you Don't go. The, Nina. <laughs> Alan has made the definitive report on if it's a black girl name or not. <laughs> Gone, girl. Shoot them guns, girl. I like that. <laughs> All right, Nina. Have no your business, girl. That's funny. No, <laughs> I have a cousin named Nina. That's all. Oh, well, there you go. That's my that's my entrance into this. I don't I don't I don't have any definitive black name, white name. I just. Well, is there uh, is there anything else that we're that we're missing out on uh, about Deadpool? Uh, we have the Colossus. That's coming out. Colossus. What did you think of uh, of Colossus? Kind of playing the straight man with the with the jokes all around him. Colossus is my favorite X Man. Oh, is that right? Yes. Yeah, oh, I did not know that. It is absolutely right. Hmm. But since this was Deadpool's movie, they gave him a a role, a supporting role, very very bit part and they made him the hard ass because mm-hmm. I guess Colossus has a hard ass <laughs> and the thing I like about Colossus in the comic books is just that he's so shiny mm-hmm. and that, that that metal effect on his muscles is awesome but they preserved the, the, the widow's peak that I'm, I'm happy with and I've never I've never realized that Colossus speaks in a heavy Russian accent. What do you mean? <laughs> I, know, I know. He says Russian words, He speak, and he's supposed to be Russian, and I accept that as Russian, but when I read his dialogue, I don't hear the Russian accent. I only see the Russian words. I figure it's Russian he's speaking. The movie did 
put that in place for me, and I appreciate that. You know, ever since I saw the early 90s X-Men animated show and Colossus made a few appearances on that, that's that's the voice that I hear. I got you. And it's pretty heavily heavily Russian on there. But, yeah, I thought he was good. I liked the fact that you wouldn't expect that person to be, like, the comedic straight man. You know, you would expect him to be portrayed in, like, a kind of a dumbass way like uh, like the thing is. Ah. In Fantastic but, Four where he's all, like, just somber and quiet and all that. Yeah, but no, he he is he's he's pretty well um, represented as a kind of straight man in the in the comics. Like Wolverine is always um, acting off of him. Um, Kurt um, Nightcrawler is always acting off of him. He's always the straight laced guy who wants to do right. Mm. And when and when things got really complicated morally for him, he just quit the X Men altogether and joined um, the Acolytes, Magneto oh, yeah. Acolytes. Well, I was I was way into the uh, into the X Men stuff then. Yeah, so it's like he has this moral code that and that led him to suicide for the sake of the mutant race. Mm-hmm. So, so I think they preserved his, his personality real well. Um, just his his the special effects on him were a little bit more dull than I was than I was hoping for. He looked like he was made out of lead. Mm. And I wanted him to be stainless steel. <laughs> well, that's all. That's all my nit- my nitpick. Negasonic yeah. Negasonic Teenage Warhead was absolutely nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing like the character in the comic book. Yeah, they just because I saw that they they were thinking about having Cannonball uh, in that role. Now that would have been cool. And but then they said that they liked uh, her name better, and so they basically just used a, like a semblance of a Cannonball type power. Mm-hmm. And then just had to be that girl. So, yeah, and it's a good, it's a, it's a fun name. To, it's a fun mm-hmm. name to use. But she just her power set is completely different in the comics. Yeah, and they did uh, the Gina Carano stuff as Angel Dust. That was that was somewhat similar to where she's strong and then kind of basically is like an addict and can be real powerful for a real short time and then starts losing it and then needs another hit of whatever. Of adrenaline or something, I think it is. Okay. So, but that so that's fairly similar mm-hmm. to what she was doing. And I like that. I I like uh, Gina Carano. I think she's a a very realistic, like could kick your ass at any moment sort of a woman. So, I like having her in movies. Yeah, I remember you said so. And mm-hmm. in, in previous in previous shows. Mm-hmm. I do like her. Well, Alan, do you have anything else about either of these movies before we wrap this one up? Yes. Do not. Support the Fantastic Four movie <laughs> by Fox. Let it die the death. Now that Disney has acquired Fox, or at least made whatever deals they made in the back rooms, put the pressure on for the Fantastic Four to enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I would love Do- it to be either in the Cinematic Universe, or if they had the budget for it, I would love to see some kind of a Netflix Daredevil type treatment. Right. Or maybe even a television series like mm-hmm. um like an Agents of Shield. Mm-hmm. Something. And I I am I have successfully um, prevented myself from saying my prime ideal on how to bring them into the Marvel universe. Oh, there you go. But if you want to ask me in private, you can check me out <laughs> on my social media, and I will tell you just so that I can log it in. So when they do it, I can say I knew it. Called it. That was the yep. stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Not like well, I'm going to get a check or anything. That's right. Well, let's talk about uh, where to find you on social media. If people had any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd want us to talk about, you could email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. Probably easier for you. You could head over to Twitter and you could message us. Uh, the, you can message the show at Plain Label Pod. You can follow me over there as well. I'm at Eric Williams 79. If you're a Facebook or an Instagram person, just look up Plain Label Podcast. You'll find us over there. So if people wanted to hear more from you, Alan, <laughs> where would they be able to do that? You will not be at any loss if you want to hear more from me because I am on Twitter all the time, every day, <laughs> several times a day, at New Mutant. Okay. I lucked out I was able to get that name. I don't have to put numbers next to it or anything. Oh, New, yeah. New Mutant. I mean, That's I could me. be like the first adopter of anything, and there's always going to be some Eric Williams before me. I'm sorry, brother. That's unbelievable. Alan, thank you yes. once again for coming on. Uh, we got another one of these coming up, so thank you out there for listening. We'll be back next week with the films X-Men Apocalypse hey, and yeah, Logan. I want to shoot, baby. Shoot. You. You. The bow legged one. <laughs> yeah. What's your name? Damn, baby. That sounds sexy. Uh, here I go, here I go, here I go. Again, okay. girls, what's my weakness? Man. Okay, then chillin', chillin', mindin' my business. Right. Your souls, I looked around and I couldn't believe this. I swear, I stand, my niece, my witness. The brother had it going on with something kinda uh, wicked, wicked. Had to kick it. I'm not shy. I hope no, that don't make me see what I want. Slip slide to it swiftly. Dumps it in my hip, so I dip back.